Reflecting on the water As the sun shuts her eyes Don't know why you'll uncover Watch the tide rolling With the moonlight Everything is silent On this wheezy bed of night You are listening to Missing Magnolia, Scarlett and Michelle here. Today with us, we have a special guest. We have Tom Aswell. He is a Ruston, Louisiana native, Louisiana voice publisher and award-winning journalist. Much of Tom's career has been spent on reporting on crime and corruption here in our backyard in Louisiana. Tom has carried his skills as an investigative reporter into his novels. We're here to talk about two of Tom's novels, Louisiana's Rogue Sheriffs, A Culture of Corruption, as well as Tom's most recent novel, which came out in 2021, Murder on the Tesh, a true story of money and a flawed investigation, which was a high-profile case in New Iberia. It was interesting to learn from Tom that he was contacted to write the book on behalf of the murder victim's family. So it's interesting. You've gone from journalist, writer, to armchair detective. So welcome, Tom. Thank you for being with us here today. Thank you. A uh, quick minor correction, these two books are nonfiction, so they would fall into the historical nonfiction genre. They read like fiction. You almost have to remind yourself that these are true stories. Well, if, if you get a true story to read like a novel, then you've accomplished something, I guess. Thank you for the compliment. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this kind of milieu of crime and corruption in Louisiana? I began in journalism quite accidentally, to tell the truth. I was a telephone repairman in North Louisiana and got tired of climbing telephone poles because it was just too much like work. I saw an ad in the paper for an advertising salesman at the local newspaper, the Ruston Daily Leader, and I applied for it and I was hired. I took a $5 a week pay cut. It took the publisher about a nanosecond to figure out that I wasn't cut out to sell ads, so he made me a sports editor. And from sports writing, I just morphed into general news and was lucky enough to land a job at the Baton Rouge State Times. I worked there under Jim Hughes, who was an outstanding editor, a very demanding editor. And he gave me my first investigative assignment to investigate the nursing home industry. And I was fortunate enough to win first place in statewide investigative reporting. And I followed up the following year with a second place investigative series on the Baton Rouge Building Inspection Department. So it just took off from that platform. And I've enjoyed a pretty good career doing that. And I got interested in politics. And when you're interested in Louisiana politics, you're naturally interested in the criminal element. Unfortunately, in this state, they go hand in glove. And that's unfortunate because it's held this state back. I love this state and I hate to see it undermined the way it has been with our political structure. I can't imagine being, as you said, being local and from this area and having that responsibility of trying to write about some of these topics that are maybe hard to write about since it is your community and your state. How has it been on a community level? Have you had any pushback? What has been the reception like from people of the community? Well, Murder on the Tesh has probably been my most successful book. It's been very well received. I haven't received any pushback whatsoever. I don't dwell so much on violent crime as I do white-collar crime and uh, political corruption. In fact, I'm launching 
a new website that will highlight or pinpoint corruption in law enforcement, prosecution, and judicial corruption called Injustice for All. We have so many questions for you. My head's being pulled in different directions. I have questions for you as a journalist, as a writer, as well as these two books. So let's talk about your most recent book first. For those that aren't familiar with the case, can you describe it a little bit and how this story came to you? Okay, this is Murder on the Tesh. It's a story of a 2010 murder. In fact, it was this month in 2010, 11 years ago, Dr. Robert Chasson in New Iberia, very popular orthodontist, and also an amateur horse breeder. He was on his horse farm with his Mexican farmhand, who was an undocumented immigrant, and he killed the doctor with a claw hammer. I was apprehended in a matter of hours and confessed, said that the doctor's wife, who, by the way, was his third wife, paid him $1,000 to kill the doctor. The motive behind it was that they had a prenup agreement that if they got divorced within five years, she would get $80,000. And they were headed toward a divorce. If they'd gotten a divorce, the wife was going to get very little. As it is, she got over $2 million. She was never considered a suspect, never questioned as a suspect, never arrested. She never was tried, never was charged. Unfortunately, a jury never got to hear the evidence that might have implicated the wife. The only jury involved was in a civil matter, a litigation between the doctor's family and the widow. So she was never considered a suspect. It may be a coincidence that her father is a deputy sheriff who also happens to be a retired state trooper who had worked with the Iberia Parish Sheriff when he was a state trooper. Perhaps that may or may not have had something to do with it. I don't know. I was contacted by the doctor's brother, and he said, you need to look into my brother's murder. He referred me to the attorney for his brother's estate and said he would give the attorney a call, let him know that I would be coming. I called the attorney, he invited me down, and he showed me into a room filled with box after box after box of legal documents. And I told him, I said, well, that's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> and he says, well, I don't need the documents anymore. The case is closed. Take them with you. So I did. That's where I got most of the information for the book is straight from court documents. I can't imagine. I'm just picturing that room full of files and folders. It was pretty overwhelming. Some of the cases that Michelle and I and the people that we've interviewed, it falls on the victim's family to do the legwork, to do the investigation. It's amazing that we're seeing more everyday people trying to find the inconsistencies and to create these timelines. You're absolutely right. It's all through Louisiana. A banker, a former banker in St. Tammany Parish, was looking at a piece of property in Orleans East, and he was killed. It was a gangster-like slaying. No one's ever been apprehended in his death. His business partner collected $2 million, life insurance. Sued an insurance company before they had a chance to investigate the death. Normally, an insurance company won't pay benefits until they're sure that the beneficiary is not involved in the death. They never got a chance to investigate that before he sued. There's a lady who supposedly fell and hit her head and died in New Roads, but the circumstances surrounding her death are very suspicious. But the district attorney, he's not pursued it, and I think he should. I think he should at least investigate it. 
there's just many cases like that. And these are not conspiracy theories. These are pretty substantial documented cases where there is cause for suspicion. Thank you for doing what you're doing and trying to get some answers and some transparency. And your experience, especially with this most recent book, did you think that when you started to dig further, was this information readily available? Was it in plain sight or did it require some really deep diving? Was this stuff about the murder in, in New Iberia? Yeah. When you had the information in front of you, how did you start to piece together that there was more to the story? Was this stuff that the average person would have maybe shaken their head and be like, hmm, this is interesting. This is not adding up. When you look at the investigative reports that these sheriff's deputies wrote, as you said, it just didn't add up. It was the most inept investigation than you could ever imagine. The lead detective had just a few months' experience. None of the detectives were experienced. The only really experienced investigator they had was a state trooper they called in for some help, and he wrote a pretty intelligent report. But other than him, it was just amateurish and like sixth-grade work. And it sounds like your experiences of a lot of people in Louisiana, especially when we're dealing with smaller towns, we have less trained officials, we have a lack of oversight. Normally, you require that your coroner be a doctor, a physician. But if a physician does not run for coroner, anybody can run. You can run, I can run. I'd love to hear more about your experience. Generally, how do you decide where to focus your time? That must feel overwhelming. How do you take care of yourself when you're immersed in this? <laughs> I try to prioritize. It's difficult. Like I said, I'm a one-man band. I'm trying to write books about corrupt sheriffs. I'm writing novels. If I'm home and awake, I'm writing. I wasn't that familiar until I read your book. Can you describe the sheriff and what powers that they have been given? The way the Constitution is set up, the sheriffs don't answer to anyone. They stand alone as the most powerful politician. Anybody wanting to be governor of Louisiana has to get the anointment of the Louisiana Sheriff's Association, and they should not be that powerful. You would be amazed how many state troopers are the sons of sheriffs, because the sheriffs just call the state superintendent, I want my boy in in the academy, and he gets in. And it's because the sheriffs are so powerful. Wow. From what you've described, it's almost more of a politician role in that regard. They are politicians, pure and simple. So sheriffs are four-year terms, and there's no limit on how many terms that they can serve? No term limits at all. In fact, the outgoing agent in charge of the FBI in New Orleans, when he gave an interview on his way out the door to the Times-Picayune, one of the things he mentioned was the fact that sheriffs are not term limited. And he said that not only are they not term limited, But when they retire, they can almost hand their job to their handpicked successor. And many times it's family. What your book does so well in illustrating that these small towns, our state's full of many small towns, and then it's these families that have had generational power. Yeah. Your book goes through so many interesting textures and history of Louisiana and trying to describe different sheriffs at different intersections in history. And they really run the gambit of offensive. Some of them are absurd in their (laughs) abusive power, like laughably absurd. And then some of them are just downright an abusive power. Can you share some highlights? Yeah, I'd be glad to give you the absurd. The sheriff, Cat Doucette, one-time sheriff, his primary side job 
is he ran prostitution in St. Landry Parish. To have a sheriff running prostitution is just unthinkable. But that was the case. And this was way up into the 80s that this occurred. We wonder why St. Landry Parish struggles so hard with this educational system and all of the limits of the community these days. They have a serious crime problem and a serious education problem. And we're sort of ignoring these places like that. Crime and poverty and education are tied together so tightly. If you're not educated, if you don't get an, an education, you're going to be ignorant. There's no way around it. Ignorance breeds crime. Crime breeds more poverty. I'm just going to kind of go back a little bit on what you started to mention, the connection between poverty and corruption. And it was interesting to read in the book some of the early sheriffs and their ties to prostitution, but also their ties to gambling and organized crime here. Yeah. Everyone's grasping whatever they can get from all levels, all walks of life. In many parishes, the sheriffs were involved in gambling and prostitution. In fact, in the 1951 Kefalfa hearings in New Orleans, it came out that the sheriffs in St. Bernard, Orleans, Jefferson, and Iberia Parish were very much involved in prohibition violation, bootlegging, prostitution, gambling. That's what I write about. I know I'm not going to change things, but I cannot in good conscience as a father of three and a grandfather of seven sit back and look at this and not say something. It probably won't change a thing but I can go to my grave knowing I tried. I thank you again for doing what you're doing and just making this information available to the public so that people can see and step away from this and have a sense of what's going on in their own communities. I get a lot of positive feedback, but I also get some people that think I'm sticking my nose where I shouldn't be doing it, and they get very offended. Fortunately, I haven't got any direct feedback from the ones that I write about. At least they've kept quiet. It seems to be their supporters that are more vocal. Not a single sheriff has contacted me to say anything negative about the book. Of course, none's contacted me to say anything positive either. But, okay, I didn't expect him to. I did expect some negative feedback. I haven't gotten that. That tells me that I struck a nerve, that I was accurate. Because if I were not accurate, they'd let me know. They They would let me know it. The same with the political structure in this state. When I see something that I don't agree with, I, I say so. There are people right now that I write about that would rather I'd go away. Where's the outrage? Where's the outrage? Indeed, I've asked that question myself. Where's the outrage? We're so inured to political corruption in this state that we just shrug it off and go on about our business. And that's the reason we're mired at the bottom of every good list and at the top of every bad list. We have the fourth highest poverty rate in the nation, behind only Mississippi, West Virginia, and New Mexico, and barely ahead of Alabama. But that's okay. We can pay a coach $10 million a year as long as he can beat Alabama. And he hadn't beat Alabama yet, but we pay him $10 million a year. And while Teachers in South Dakota are crawling around on their knees grabbing $1 bills. The average sheriff in Louisiana makes over $150,000 a year. To have unilateral control over how the justice system is going to function in a community while the community sits back and wonders why things aren't working for them. It's like there's no link being made that these elected officials are the ones deciding how our communities are improving or not. 
That's correct. There's a correlation there, and people fail to pick up on it, it seems. When I said the sheriffs paid $150,000, that's not even including their benefits. Free car, medical care, retirement. It's not including that. So they're, they're getting upwards of around $200,000 a year. For what? For what purpose? So what do we do? How do we, we know? Do? How does the average person who reads one of your books and decides that they can't sit back and, and ignore things anymore, what should that person do? Raise hell. That's all you can do. Uh, make your voice heard. As long as you're silent, that's consent. I have a friend, Terry King. He's involved in a citizens group over in St. Tammany Parish. They've formed a group over there to fight corruption in the parish because it's so widespread in St. Tammany Parish that something had to be done. They tried to get an inspector general for the parish, and the politicians that are in office beat that down real quick. They said, no, we're not going to have an inspector general. We don't want want anybody looking over our shoulders. So the citizens group's doing it for them, and they do a great job. You still have to get people to get out and vote. The political action committees and special interests are pouring money into these campaigns. We'd make our decision based on what we hear and see on television without considering what got this politician where he is or what he actually stands for. Wow. Thank you again for what you're doing. I hope there are more of you that have the skills and the drive to champion on behalf of the good of our community and for reform. I wanted to end with a quote from your book. In describing one of the parishes, you said, most feature the assortment of dollar stores, Walmarts, struggling (laughs) furniture stores, liquor stores, run-down local police stations, used tire stores, the obligatory fast food franchises, and the vast array of Protestant churches. Poverty reigns supreme in the Delta. I think that will resonate for a lot of people in the Gulf Coast but also maybe in other small towns in middle America and across the country that are very similar. Maybe the memory of a town fading is not such a bad thing in this context. Maybe it's an opportunity for change. I hope so. Thank you, Tom, for being here so much. We're excited to see your other projects and books coming out. So please keep us updated. Will do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.